Hey guys, uh, welcome back to another episode of Family Meal. I know that things are still crazy in the world, and um, you know, someone who can inspire you during all of this is today's guest, Gracie Mercedes. Now, she has worn many a hat and executed all those jobs with with a real sense of self and just given them her all. Um, this episode, she really dives into her different career paths and, and moves and growing up in New York in the city and, and how that was different than her siblings that grew up in the suburbs and what it's taken to to like really make it in Hollywood. And, you know, she was a writer on the first season of Perfect Harmony, the NBC show. She's a director and writer of her own projects and made a film during COVID, so please check that out. And most recently, she started her own podcast called Not Blank Enough and has fantastic episodes out. Definitely check that out and subscribe to her podcast as well because a lot of inspiring people. Um, I'm just very grateful that I had a, the time to interview Gracie because, and I didn't really tell her this on the episode, but she was one of the first people who I saw, and I was like, oh, this woman is wearing multiple hats, like, I want to be an actress, and, um, and so, shout out to her and to all of the people out there who are, who you look up and you see yourself doing the things, and I think that's really it something that we touched on is, you know, you you do have to see it um, in order to sort of aspire to it, but, you know, just keep going for your dreams and your goals, and they'll probably shift along the way, but that's just, that's just life, and that's what's exciting, Uh, so, you know, get get together a snack or something, or don't, and just be ready to, to have a good meal after you finish this episode with Gracie Mercedes. This is Family Meal with Natalie Pelletier, a podcast centered around family recipes, but exploring much more. We talk food, family, and the jobs these creative chefs, foodies, and dreamers have had along the way. So pull up a chair, grab a plate, and let's dig in to Family Meal. Hi, your closet's cute. <laughs> I'm like running around like a crazy person today. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you my course. closet slash office. Yes. That's mm-hmm. a nice function. Yeah. Office closet. <laughs> Be around lots of beautiful pieces. It's good for recording too because it yeah. buffers the sound. Buffers. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, welcome back to LA. It looked like you had a fun time with your family in New York. Thank you. I did. It was really nice to like take a little break and be in that like humid green weather. Um, yeah, it was good. It was good. good. And yeah. your pup did okay traveling? She did. She did. I The CBD biscuits really helped. Um, <laughs> because I don't think she would have been good otherwise. Like they definitely chilled her out a little bit. But yeah, she did really well. Oh, good. Yeah. That's so fun. Um, well, I'm glad that you were just with your family because on 
here, I always love to, to ask um, people's family recipes and then just sort of like go from there and talk about family and food and, mm-hmm. and everything in between to where you are now. Um, yeah. So, well, it's interesting when you asked me to do this, I, <laughs> I was kind of like laughed to myself because my mom is notorious for not having actual recipes. Like she never writes anything down. She never measures anything. And so all the things that she makes that I want to make, I have over the years just kind of winged it based on like what she says she puts into to the recipe, but then like it won't taste exactly the same. And so then I have to play around with measurements. And so <laughs> I'm always like, well, you just write it down. But that's kind of how she was taught to cook by my grandmother is just mm-hmm. like, just watch and learn. Um, and so any of my family recipes, um, my family's Dominican. So they're all like Dominican-esque recipes, whether it's rice and beans, or my mom makes a really great um, homemade chicken soup that just has a little bit of like a Latin flair to it. Or um, she makes this thing called pasteles, which is way more of a complicated thing that you only Mm -hmm. make like at the holidays kind of thing, because it takes forever to make. Um, But yeah, pasteles are kind of like tamales, like the Dominican version of tamales. Um, But they're made with plantains instead of like a cornmeal. Yeah, they're delicious. They take forever to make, but they're delicious (laughs) once you make them. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I don't know. I think the most simple simple thing and the most... um, staple is just Dominican rice and beans, which the rice part, I cheat and use a rice maker. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's okay. We're all busy these days. Which is very like a bad Latina of me. Um, But when my mom makes her rice, it's so funny. She has this little technique and I don't know if this is like a Dominican thing or just like my mom thing, but when she makes these like giant pots of rice for our family, she puts the rice in and the water and the salt and the oil. And then she takes like a metal spoon, like a giant metal spoon that you would mm-hmm. cook with. And she puts it in the pot with the spoon side down. And if the spoon kind of stands up on its own for a good <laughs> second or so, then the water to rice ratio is perfect to her. And oh my so God. this is what I'm dealing with. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> as, far as, as far as recipes go. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But she does make like the best rice. And I know it seems crazy to say that because it's just like white rice, but my mom's white rice is just so good. It's always like perfectly salted, perfect texture. Um, and then for the beans, well, normally we would use Goya beans, but right now Goya well. is canceled. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so normally you do, um, a can of beans, um, for our family, it's usually like three or four cans of beans because we're feeding a lot of people. Um, you would saute and I'm going strictly off of like memory here, but you saute on onions and, um, garlic and some olive oil and you kind of get that going. Um, I think we, we season with. Oh, then my mom adds a little tomato paste for like coloring. Mm-hmm. She used to use, again, Goya, um, like Sasson. <laughs> but as she got older and more health conscious, she realized like it does have like MSG and a lot of shit in it that we don't need to put in our food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she realized that tomato paste would kind of give it that coloring and flavor. Like tomato paste and some garlic and onion kind of does the same job. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she uses cilantro. Uh, she uses a little bit of vinegar in there, like white vinegar or mm. apple cider vinegar. Um, gives it a little bit of a tanginess. Um, yeah. And then you, you use a little bit of water that you fill the bean can with water. So it kind of gets that like bean juice in a weird way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds disgusting, <laughs> but it's really good. Um, and then you kind of just let it cook and boil until it's a nice like thicker consistency. And I think that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, that's a, that's a thing. It's like some of the best recipes are are the most simple and the the things that are nostalgic and just kind of like easily bring everyone together, you know? Yeah. And to be honest, like since I moved to Los Angeles, you know, I love Mexican food, but Mexican food is different than Dominican food or mm-hmm. Puerto Rican food. Um, and so... I eat a lot of Mexican food to try to get that fix, which isn't exactly the same fix. And so mm-hmm. when I go home, like literally I was home for three weeks and I think I made my mom make rice and beans at least 10 times while I was there. <laughs> I was just like, I want it, I want it, I want it. So I get as much as I can from her when I'm home. And then I just don't even, I honestly, I barely try to do it here. Cause it's like, it's never going to be as good as my mom's. Yeah. So what's the point? Yeah. Though I have gotten my chicken soup to be pretty close to her. So, hey, there you pra- go. Practice makes perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, did you, you grew up in New York then? Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in New York City, yeah. And were you, um, are you an only child? Did you have siblings growing up? Were you guys like all sort of cooking, yeah. with your mom, watching your mom cook? No. Um, so, I'm from Brooklyn, New York originally, mm-hmm. and my mom and my my like biological father they broke up when I was pretty young I was like two Mm -hmm. and so I'm the only child from them too but then my mom went on to have more kids um we have different dads but I never refer to them as like my half siblings because we all grew up together but with that I'm a lot older than all of them so my next sister wasn't born until I was nine and then my brother after that wasn't born until I was like uh like 17 and then my baby sister was born when I was 22. So she could basically be my child. Um, (laughs) And so we're very far apart, so much so that I didn't even live in the same house as my baby sister, because by the time she was born, I was in college and moved out. Right. Um, But when I was the only child, and after my mom and dad uh, split up from around the age of like three to six, maybe even older than that. Uh, my grandmother was always around and my aunt was always around. So it was a lot of Dominican women in like mm-hmm. one space. Um, my grandmother or my mom did all the cooking. My aunt didn't really cook. I don't even know <laughs> if she knows how to cook now. Um, but my, my mom and, and grandmother did all the cooking. And so I do remember certain dishes my grandmother would make that now sound pretty gross to me. But back then I loved, like there's this like spaghetti thing that Latin people make that I think most Italians would be like, what the hell is that? But it was really good because I just remember it's like the pasta water is somehow involved in the making of it. Oh and yeah. Like, pasta water is always a good addition to, to the sauce. Yeah, I guess. And then it was like, it was like very saucy, but then it had like onions in it. It kind of had like a little Latin flair to it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's like a thing either, or if that was just something my grandmother made up, but um and uh yeah so the cooking was always kind of split between them two and I was always around it I don't think I was very interested in it though to be honest Mm -hmm. like I wasn't trying to learn how to cook when I was a kid right I mean if you had these two wonderful women in your life life just you know happily happily cooking (laughs) right 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 (laughs) 
Um, right. And I was the only child around. So I was right. definitely um, babied until I was about nine or 10. I was like spoiled, I should say, by these three <laughs> women, like getting whatever I wanted. So, um, And then when you were when your other siblings came into the picture, did you, did you find yourself sort of taking on like an older sister, like motherly kind of role to them? Is that still how you kind of feel? Mm-hmm. feel Absolutely. With them now? I mean, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> now that they're older, like in their twenties and thirties, we've, I think we actually have all become a lot closer because I've laid off being like their second mom. Whereas when I was younger and they were like children I very Mm. much felt like their second mom um me and my sister Jolie who's nine years younger like she when I was um like 15 15 14 15 we lived in Manhattan and my my mom and my stepdad both worked in finance so they were both like working all the time Mm. so I would pick up my sister after school and take care of her and like in retrospect, I'm like, wow, that's so crazy. I was like 14 or 15 years old watching this four-year-old um, in Manhattan <laughs> and like getting in caps together and getting on the subway together. Um, and then they all moved upstate New York when I started college. So my mom, my stepdad, and my siblings all moved to where I was, to Rhinebeck, mm, New York, where okay. I was just vis- visiting. So I've um, been going up there forever. It's always been like a little retreat from the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, my three siblings more grew up upstate. Um, in fact, the youngest one was born up there and that's all she knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and so their, their upbringing was very, very different. From mine. <laughs> <laughs> like the, they grew up in, you know, suburbs, like, yeah, you yeah. Know, upstate New York is very different from New York city. Um, and, and then my stepfather is Italian. So, keeping on theme, like, uh, the cuisine in the house started to shift where it was like Dominican food and Italian food. Mm. So I, I grew up eating a lot of really great Italian food and my mom learned how to make like a real, like Italian sauce. And, Mm. um, yeah. And so I was really lucky. I feel like I grew up with two of the best types of foods in the world. (laughs) Yeah, completely. Yeah. That is, that is so crazy. What, just to like think about, oh yeah, I was 15, like walking around in Manhattan with my younger sister. But I mean, that's just like how, how you guys had to, had to do yeah, it. Yeah. It's just how it was back then. And, you know, I, I was just, it's funny. People always like, how was it growing up in New York city? And during it, you don't know any different cause it's what you're experiencing and living. But, mm-hmm. um, New York City kids grow up really fast. They they have no choice but to because they're constantly surrounded by people and danger, if you will, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and just a different environment. Like I didn't grow up, you know, riding my bike in my neighborhood. I didn't grow right. up going to house parties. I didn't go grow up driving. I you know mm-hmm. you're you're on in that concrete jungle and it's just a yeah. different life experience. And so yeah, it was very my my siblings at. 15 and 14 were much younger than I was at that age. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, it's, it's just a different way of. Yeah. It, sh- it shaped you. It shaped you differently. And then mm-hmm. you, did you stay in New York for college or did you go I did. elsewhere? I, nope. <laughs> I always wanted to go to NYU. And so I only applied to like three schools. And then when I got into NYU, I was like, this is it. I'm going there. Yeah. And I loved it. In retrospect, I'm like, oh, I probably should have left town. Um, but that's kind of why at 26, 25, 26, I decided to move to Los Angeles because 
I just wanted to live somewhere else. I lived in New York City my whole life. And um, while Rhinebeck was a nice little upstate retreat, it still was New York. And so I moved to LA to pursue acting and, mm -hmm. and what I do now, writing and acting and stuff. But also because initially it was just, I wanted to get out of New York. Because if I'm being honest, when I first moved to LA, like for the first three or four years, I did very little that had to do with acting or anything else. It was just kind of, in, it was like almost like that was my college experience. Like I did like three or four years mm -hmm. just having fun and, and like uh, absorbing everything LA has to offer. Completely. Yeah. A different reset, a different lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you started driving <laughs> too when you got to. I did. I actually, <laughs> there was like a little bit of a detour in high school where my stepfather's job had sent him to Ta Tampa, Florida when I was 16, which was like a complete nightmare for me to go from <laughs> New York City yeah. to Tampa, Florida. In fact, my brother was born in Tampa, Florida. Poor guy. Um, so <laughs> we went, the family went for a year. Mm. But after, after about six months of me being there, I was so miserable there mm. because it's just like I went from this freedom of living in New York and having all my friends there to moving to Tampa, Florida, where you needed a car. I did learn how to drive in Tampa. So I did mm. get my license at like 15 or 16, which was cool when I got back to New York because no one has their license. No one else. Yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, I got my license. <laughs> and, and, um, mm -hmm. and the school I went to was very, very like segregated and uh, there was like, it was the first time seeing like Confederate flags and hearing oh my God. N word used like no big deal. And so it was like a kind of a cultural shock and I didn't really fit in anywhere because mm. the black kids were like black kids and they didn't see me as black because I was Dominican, even though racially I'm black. And so there was that. And then the white kids were very like um, country white, let's just say that, <laughs> and, not, mm -hmm. and not the kind of white people I, I grew up with. Um, and so it was really, it was really like isolating. And it was funny. The only friends I made were these two, um, Puerto Rican kids who had just moved there from New York as well. And so the three of us kind of banded together as like yeah. these Afro Latinos from New York. Um, but yeah, I hated it. Bottom line, I hated it. And so I begged my mom to let me go back to New York to live with my best friend and her mom for the second half of my sophomore year, I believe that was of, of high school. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and my mom did because she knew I was miserable and she knew they weren't going to be there very long. Like the plan yeah. was to only go to Tampa for a year. Um, all that to say, I got my license very young because of it. <laughs> and then when my family moved to Rhinebeck, when I was like 18 or 19, I got to practice driving yeah. upstate a lot. And so when I moved to LA, it wasn't completely foreign, which I think it is for a lot of New Yorkers who come to LA. We're like, oh my God, I have to drive now. Right, um, right. For me, I already had some years of practice and I really enjoy driving. So it was an easy transition. And and when you came to LA, I know you said for a few years, it was just kind of like settling in, finding your finding your feet. Um, how How then did you start to transition into doing writing and um and then also sorry I have a fly that's just flying around <laughs> my room so that's fun um but like transitioning into to writing and then um did you work I know you worked at MTV was that like a New York thing or was was that in LA I worked in MTV in New York so mm -hmm. I went to school initially I went to NYU 
I wanted to work in business like my family, but I really didn't. I just wanted to make money. And so I thought, yeah. okay, finance. Um, and then I didn't get into the business school at NYU. So I think that was almost the universe being like, no, you can't do this. Mm. Also, I wasn't that great at math and you probably need to be really good at math <laughs> in business. Um, and so I did liberal arts for the first two years at NYU. And then while I was there, I decided I wanted to work um, in news. I wanted to be a reporter mm. and then eventually an anchor. And so I did broadcastism at NYU. That was my major. And right when I graduated, I got um, a job as a desk assistant at ABC News. And I worked um, for this show that no longer exists called World News This Morning. That was hosted by Anderson Cooper. And oh. um, what was that other woman's name? I'm not going to remember it, of course. Um, anyway. Um, and then we also did the news for Good Morning America. Mm. With that, I worked the overnight shift, which is insane. So I would go to work at like 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night and spend the night, you know, basically working. And mm -hmm. the news is depressing. The news is not a fun place to be. Like yeah, it was yeah. a lot of like wars and murders and rapes and this and that and the other. And so I pretty quickly was like, yeah, I don't think this is for me. I'm too sensitive for all this. Like things were making me tear up. And if you're working mm -hmm. in news, you shouldn't be that affected, I don't think, by the news. Um, and so after about six months, I decided to quit. Um, and I just took a chance. I had interned at MTV News when I was in college. And so they had also offered me a job, but at MTV at the time, and I think still everything's freelance. And so it was like, we can give you this job. It's going to last, you know, a month. And then after that, you have to hope to get on another project. We can't guarantee you mm. work. Whereas this ABC News job, it was like a real job with insurance mm -hmm. and benefits and all this stuff. So anyway, after six months, I left ABC. I went to MTV and I said, I don't care. Just give me anything. Just put me on anything. And I worked at MTV News for a little while. And then I transferred over to MTV production. And then I started working on MTV, um, like stage shows that no longer exist anymore. But it was like the spring breaks and the beach houses and the mm -hmm. TRLs type of shows. Um, and I loved that. It was a really fun job and i'm really appreciative of my time there because it gave me so many skills it's like boot camp you know yeah. they, they work you real hard at mtv <laughs> um, <laughs> especially when you start as a pa and i got to work my way up to be a producer there and it was amazing and it all happened really quick but i was on this path that was like okay you keep doing this and you're going to end up doing this mm -hmm. as a lot of my friends did and they're very successful and they you know, now produce or EP or have production companies that do every reality show on television and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, but it was at that point I decided to give it all up because honestly, the whole time I wanted to be an actor and the whole time I was like doing plays and taking classes and just kind of suppressing this desire to pursue that career. And being at MTV made it harder to ignore it because, you know, you're constantly around celebrities and you're constantly around these VJs and you're just like, oh, I want to be in front of the camera too. Mm -hmm. um, so I finally, you know, took the leap and I moved out to LA. And like I said, if I'm being honest, um, <laughs> the first few, few years, I just kind of dicked around. Like I, I, um, I was lucky to get a commercial agent right away and I started booking commercials right away, which was super exciting. Um, so that was some money. And then I like would wait tables like a couple nights a week. And then the rest of the time I was just 
<laughs> going to beaches and bars and restaurants and house parties and just kind of like living my life and having a really good time. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I hit 30, <laughs> where yeah. I was like, I need to get my shit together. Like, what do I really want to do here? Mm. And you know, around that time I realized how hard acting is and you can't, I think so many people come to LA and they're like, I'm going to be an actor. And you mm. don't realize like, no, 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 this is really hard. And it really is something you have to commit your life to. If you're serious about it, you can't be like, Oh, I'm going to try acting for a couple of years and see what happens. It's like, no, no, no. Either you love it enough to do it forever. And whatever that means to you, as far as like doing it is what it becomes or don't bother because it's, it's, Honestly, unless like you have some kind of nepotism on your side, it does not happen overnight. No. On a, and with nepotism, it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes that just gets you in the door. And if you suck, that's your last shot. Yeah. So that's when I decided to get into classes. Um, I started studying at the BGB studio and did that for a few years and loved it. And then more recently was at IDSA, which is a school out of London that was more like a actual drama program Mm. um and since i didn't go to school for acting it was a really great program to be a part of um that's basically the acting trajectory i started working um you know i got lucky and started doing co-stars pretty quickly but it Mm. wasn't until recently that i got like really good representation so it's only been sadly it's only been since um january that I had good representation and I was going on pilot auditions. And then of course COVID happened. <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, and so we'll see where it all goes as far as the acting goes. I mean, there, there are self tapes happening here and there for mm-hmm. stuff that we hope to be able to shoot at some point, but completely. Yeah. Yeah. And then as far as the writing and I'm kind of skipping through the fact that um, when I moved to LA, after a certain point while I was in these classes and stuff and kind of developing my acting um, career or my acting life, I should say, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I decided I didn't want to wait tables anymore. I was like approaching 30 and I was like, I don't want to do this. It was making me pretty miserable. And I honestly think that's why so many actors quit acting because they just can't stand waiting tables anymore. Um, Yeah. You know, (laughs) and so it was at that point that I started, um, well, I was doing multiple things at once. I was hosting like on air TV mm-hmm. hosting and doing like, um, online and, and TV segments. And that came about because I had done some styling, um, mm. s- some fashion styling that I kind of fell into because my friend, he at the time was the creative director for American Eagle and had asked me to like help him on a shoot. And that turned into me becoming like a stylist for their campaigns as well. Yeah. So that lasted for like about three or four years. And then that turned into me taking on personal clients and doing Mm. like personal shopping and and closet revamps. And so I was making a really good living doing that stuff instead of waiting tables. And I was still able to go on auditions and be in my acting classes. And so that all worked out. And so that kind of transitioned into being a quote unquote style expert because I was hosting and I had a hosting agent mm-hmm. and then that landed me um a couple of uh gigs like with E and Style Network which no longer exists um and a couple online things and then I did like a style segment on Access Hollywood for no about seven months yeah and Access Hollywood Live and <laughs> it's actually that job that made me realize I didn't like hosting <laughs> um they were all lovely and I, and I had a great time doing the job, but 
I was like, hmm, I don't know if I really love this so much. So maybe I'm going to shelf this. Yeah. Um, and then around that time, probably just before the Access Hollywood stuff, I fell into blogging. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it started organically. It just started as a website for my styling. And mm-hmm. then um, that's around the time, like, outfits of the day started being a thing. And so yeah. I started shooting myself in outfits and and then uh, started getting a following on Instagram. I mean, I've been on Instagram for like 10 years, which is crazy. Um, and so I did blogging like full time mm-hmm. for about eight years and it was great. It was great. And I still do collaborations here and there. But about two years ago was when I decided that I wanted all my focus, all my energy, all my work to be put towards um, my career in entertainment. And mm-hmm. so now I see myself less as just an actor and more as an actor slash writer slash director. And so mm-hmm. I'm just trying to work in entertainment in any yeah. way I can because yeah. I love it so much. Um, and in order to do that, I was like, I can't also be posting on Instagram every day and doing three blog posts a week and taking, completely. Yeah. Having all these photo shoots. and stuff. So I, um, stopped working with, um, the blog agency I was working with. And then I started really focusing on writing and wrote my first pilot. And then things started just to happen really quickly. That first pilot got me an agent and that first pilot got me my first writing job, which was working on Perfect Harmony, the show on NBC. That was, yeah, it, was, it all just happened really quickly. It literally wow. just all happened last year. Oh my um, God. And when I say quickly, I mean like the showrunner emailed me, said, would you be interested? I happened to have this pilot that I had just finished to send her as a sample. She liked it. I met with her and then I met with one of the EPs and then I was like hired the next week and started the week after that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I did that for six months. I wrote on that show for six months and then it was done in November of Mm -hmm. 2019. Um, And at that point I got um, my reps now who I love, my new manager, mm-hmm. my new agency. And that's kind of where I'm at. So now it's like the new year's here. And like I said, I had a pilot season before COVID and now I'm focusing on developing my old projects as far mm-hmm. as writing is concerned. And I just finished directing, um, a short film that I'm also in and I wrote, um, yeah. And I work with yeah. a production company. Like I'm just crazy busy. And no, it's I great. mean, that's, I love all, it. that's all so exciting. And, and clearly you just along the way have been pivoting and following your gut and just being like trying on things though. But like really, you know, I'm so happy you were a blogger because otherwise I wouldn't have met you. Like we met because you were my mentor at like a Create and Cultivate, what, five, six years oh ago? Oh my God. Yeah, I forgot like, about I was that. like in your session because I was like, okay, I had recently moved out to LA and I was like, I, you know, need to be fueling my creativity in other ways because, you know, auditions come up when you're first moving, when you first move out here, they're few and far between, mm-hmm. you know, so it was how to fuel and, you know, so I'm very thankful that that was a part of your <laughs> trajectory. Um, but working in a writer's room, I mean, how, how was that now that you've, you know, you've been on set and you've been on TV shows, but then seeing sort of like the behind the scenes of how episodes are formed, like mm-hmm. what was that like? 
It was eye-opening, honestly, and to I feel, <laughs> I feel like um, as an actor, it was literally like pulling the curtain on Oz. Like I was just like, oh, this is what goes on behind <laughs> the scenes. Like it really helped me um, as an actor as much as it did as a writer, because mm-hmm. as an actor, you really um, realize how little everything has to do with you. <laughs> and it's like, you hear that and you hear that all the time. You're like, you know, you didn't, just because you didn't get this part doesn't mean you're a bad quote unquote bad actor. It just means you weren't right for this part for whatever mm-hmm. reason. It could, could be as simple as your height or the color of your hair or what you look like, or it can be, you just didn't have the vibe of the character that they were thinking or expecting or looking for. Right. Um, but then even once you're cast on these shows, um, you realize like, you know, lines are changed and a lot of times it doesn't have to do with the actor. It just has to do with the way the flow of the story goes or what the studio wants or what the network wants. And as an actor, you might take that personally and be like, oh my God, why did they cut this line? Or why did they change my storyline or whatever the case may be? And it literally just might be the network being like, no, we want this story to happen right now versus this story. Um, I was very lucky. My writer's room was fantastic. Um, our showrunner, Leslie Wake Webster, is amazing. I think um, the fact that she's a woman uh, and she ran that room with so much like compassion and empathy and um, respect for all her writers. You know, I have a lot of writer friends and anyone I described my room to, they were like, oh, you lucked out. Like mm. writer's rooms are usually not that great <laughs> or not that e- like not easy, but in the sense that like everyone got along and she did a really good job at putting a, um, a room together that's diverse in the sense it was like half women and half men. And I wasn't the only person of color in the room, which was really important mm. to me. Um, and so that was really nice. That was really nice. Um, but every writer's room is different, uh, depending on the showrunner. And I think the biggest thing I learned or the biggest um, maybe fear people have when they hear about being in a writer's room is that they think they're literally like writing all the time. And it's actually the opposite. You barely write. <laughs> and it's mostly like pitching ideas and pitching stories and pitching jokes. And then mm-hmm. whosoever episode it is, is the one doing most of the literal writing, but together we are writing and together we are pitching and together we are coming up with dialogue and jokes and all that. Yeah. And, and since you had such a positive experience with a diverse um, group of people, I know that that's not that you were saying it's not the case for all writers rooms. I mean, how, how can Hollywood <laughs> change? So that is <laughs> the case with everything. Are, are there initiatives or things that you're sort of working with mm-hmm. or groups that you're working yeah. you know, to um, make sure that that inclusive inclusivity and that people's voices are being heard, you know? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I do think things are starting to change or will hopefully change because of what's going on right now. But um, um, I think it's important just for people of, color and um, LGBTQ people and um, people with disabilities, all these people to see and know people who look like them or are like them working in these spaces. And so Mm -hmm. um, I recently did this thing um, with Hollywood Here where they took, I think it was like a a thousand 
I want to say a thousand. I don't know if that number is exactly right. Um, writers and paired them up with, um, well, so okay, let me go back. Hollywood here, they took um, a few hundred, I'm going to say, because I don't think it's a thousand, a few hundred writers and they paired them up with professional writers. So aspiring writers were paired up with professional writers. Mm -hmm. um, and the aspiring, writer, aspiring writers were all writers of color. The professional writers were anybody that was willing to give their time to like virtually meet with these people, like have um quote unquote coffee with them over mm -hmm. Zoom. And I did it. And so when you sign up for it, you know, these writers then are able to sign up for you. And it was really cool because initially I was like, well, I've only been a staff writer. Like how much knowledge can I <laughs> give anyone? Mm -hmm. um, but then I ended up having like, 12 girls who wanted to talk to me because oh. the same thing where it's like, well, you look like me and I want to know how you got there. And I think that's just really important because representation does matter as cliche as it sounds like. It's like, if you don't see someone who looks like you doing the things that you want to do, then you don't think they're possible. And so yeah. for me, it was, um, I talk, it's funny. I talk about this on my podcast because now of course I started a podcast as well. Um, yeah back in March. And, um, something I did was just go on my Instagram. And I just started following women of color who are kicking ass in Hollywood right now. So like showrunners mm -hmm. and creators and, and writers, um, and actors slash directors. Um, I started following them and it was really a great move on my part because it started to inspire me and give me ideas and help me connect with these people who are actually doing it, who, look like me so yeah I think even if you think you don't have a lot to offer if you worked at all in any capacity in this business I think being able to talk to other people who are hoping to do the same thing is really important yeah that it's so that's so huge you know just to have that that sort of like spark of hope you know just being mm -hmm. like, okay they made it not all roads are different you know everyone's going to have their own path to getting where they want to be. But if like this person has done it, then I can too. Mm -hmm. um, and also congratulations on your podcast. I love listening to oh, thank episodes. You. It's great. Uh, it's called not blank enough. Mm -hmm. And not blank enough. Yeah. And you, um, how many episodes were you able to, or are you still recording? Cause you're, you can do it. We're still recording. Um, we just released episode six and mm -hmm. we have, um like four more that i've already recorded um and then yeah we're the plan is to release one a week up until december and then see what we're going to do from there that might be like the first season i guess and then yeah take it from there but so far it's been really fun and interesting and um i've been having really great conversations with a lot of people about yeah that feeling of not enoughness and what everyone's mm -hmm. specific not enoughness feeling is and where it comes from and how it evolves throughout your life, what it does for you. Um, yeah, it's been great. My guests have been awesome. Yeah. It, they've all been super powerful. So definitely take a listen to those episodes because, you. you know, everyone, everyone deals with, with those feelings. Like I am mm -hmm. like, I mean, I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. Like I, yep. Been there, been there, been there, you know, Yeah. but also hearing stories where I was like, oh my God, someone's been like felt that way, you know, like mm -hmm. that's, that's also, you know, eye opening and a, a great reason to listen to, to just to hear stories that aren't like you, 
your own. Yeah, that's been the biggest surprise is to talk to people who are seemingly so different from me and then be like, oh, wait, no, I have felt that exact thing, but for a different reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's amazing. I mean, um, I know for the sake of time, I would love to keep, you know, chatting more about, about that, but I always love to ask some like fun Oh yeah. Um kind of rapid fiery at the end. Okay. Um so I'm so nervous. I got really <laughs> nervous. Oh my god. The rapid fire. <laughs> um well uh so in a dream world, who would be at your uh like a backyard or whatever dinner of yours and what oh would my. you serve them? What would I serve them? Oh what would or you know, you can order, you can order the food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Have mm-hmm. your husband cook. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be really fun to have the Obamas over. <laughs> um, yeah. And then in honor of Mr. Obama, um, do like, it'd be really cool to get a Hawaiian like catering thing going like a, yeah. like a luau. Like, can I get a catered luau happening? Sure. I, That'd be fun. But yeah, I would love to freaking me. I, so I was in, um, boston just visiting oh i I had a film that got into the festival there and so um me and my husband walked around harvard uh campus Mm. it was like a year or two ago and i saw um malia (laughs) and i freaked out i like was like it was like i saw i I don't even know who i like beyonce or something like i was just like oh stop and i like it took everything in me not to run up to her. And I was like, no, there must be secret service around here. And I don't want to be tackled. <laughs> so I just looked at her from afar and I was like, oh my God, if I feel this way about her, like how would I even act if I met Barack or Michelle? But anyway, that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, you'd have that, that. That would be amazing. You guys would just, yeah, they're amazing. I think people. they would love me. No. <laughs> <laughs> they would. Why not? I love um, yeah, they, they're incredible. And, um, Michelle's coming out with a podcast. I saw that. I was like, oh my God, well, that's <gasps> going to be an instant success. Right. Um, what do you always have in your fridge? Um, there's a lot of things I always have in our fridge. Um, almond milk comes to mind. Um, two different kinds of oh. barista blend for my coffee and a regular kind for smoothies and the like um that's not very fun but honestly that is the one thing that's like always, always in my fridge there. and if it's not there i'm like we need almond milk <laughs> 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 because i have to have my coffee in the morning so yeah yeah to that um what's your go-to snack um hmm well I do love tortilla chips and salsa or guacamole. That's probably like my favorite go-to snack. But lately I've been making these um, quote-unquote healthy brownies that are made with, um, Mm. yeah, there's no, I I have to be gluten-free. I have like a gluten allergy. And so there are these brownies made with, there's no flour in them at all. Like not even like, not even like non-gluten flour. Yeah, it's like, but it's made with almond butter. So you have to use like a whole jar of almond butter, but it's completely worth it. They're from, oh shit. I might have to send you a link so you can share it with your audience, but they're literally the most delicious, um, they're like fudgy, decadent brownies and they're amazing. Yeah. I want to say sweet laurel or something, but anyway. Okay. That, those sound amazing. Um, would your gluten-free bagel be toasted or untoasted? 
Oh, I know. I love bagels. Toasted. Toasted. Mm -hmm. uh, Especially you... if it was a gluten-free bagel. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your drink of choice? Tequila. <laughs> um, yeah, non-alcoholic water. Honestly, I just drink water all day long, all the time. Um, alcoholic, I love tequila. I love a great margarita. And I'm also super into like a real LA asshole, um, natural wine now because there's a natural wine shop near my house. It's and not being an asshole. It's just better for you. <laughs> it's so good. I never get a headache. I used to love, I love wine, but I used to always get headaches and I can never drink it. And now I drink all the natural wine in the world and I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because they're not adding shit to the wine. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yes. Um, oh, I also wanted to, before I wrap up, um, are there any other, besides more podcast episodes coming out, are there any other um, projects or things that you want to talk about that you're looking forward to? Um, right now, yeah, the focus is on the podcast um, because unfortunately with COVID, not much else is going on. Mm -hmm. I do have a short film I just wrapped and I was just submitted to festivals and some other short films I've done before that are starting to get into festivals. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of like short film stuff happening, but that's really it. I mean, honestly, if you follow me at, on Instagram at, at Gracie Mercedes, Gracie with an S, um, I always plug everything on there. So, yeah, I loved, I literally was brought to tears by your COVID love story. Oh, that was thank so you. beautiful. Well, we just found out we got into the Burbank Film Festival. Yay. So that will be, and we were like semi finalists for what I don't know. But um, so that's the new thing to plug, I guess. Yay. Yay. That's really exciting. Um, and I just, I always love ending the episode asking what family meal means to you. In whatever, whatever sense. Yeah. Family meal is really just um, getting together, whether it's actual family or friends that have become family and really just taking that time, not on your phones, sitting around a table, having really good food, good wine, good drinks and connecting. I mean, I think we spend so much time looking down on our computers and our phones that when you actually have that couple hours hopefully it's like two hours or so that you can just connect to your girlfriends or your family or your mom whatever and really just eat and enjoy each other's company I think that's mm -hmm. what family meal really stands for yeah I love that and the <laughs> fact that like you know during all of this hopefully we've been giving ourselves the the opportunity to put our phones down to not look at mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the constant news cycle I know I know <laughs> I know I gotta be better at putting my phone down more <laughs> oh well thank you so much for taking the time to of course to come thanks on. for having me yeah well good luck with the rest of your day and um you know i'll see you on instagram thank you <laughs> bye bye Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. As always, I love to hear from you. So drop a line on Instagram, uh, whether it's the Family Meal Podcast, my personal one at Irish Freckle Girl. I just love hearing from you that you've maybe made some of the recipes, really anything. Um, so truly, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to my little food baby. And as always, stay curious and stay hungry.